he put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This is the armor of God, not just because he supplies it, but because he also wears it. Amen. So this morning we want to continue on that subject of maturity, um, growing as Christians. You know, we never arrive, we're always growing, we never stop growing. You know, the truth is, is that if, if, if we stop growing, then something's wrong. Amen? If something stops growing, then something's wrong. And look, as Christians, if we stop growing, then there's something wrong. And let me tell you what can be wrong if you stop growing. Number one is maybe you never got saved. If you never, if you don't, if you never really known Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, sometimes we can get it up here, but we don't get it in here. So there's some short growth, but really and truly, you never truly gave your life to Jesus Christ, never had a personal relationship. But oftentimes what happens is, is number two, is that we get saved and we get it here and we get it here and we get excited about Jesus Christ, but then life creeps in. And life creeps in, and it, and, it, and it derails us from what our new focus and our new life in Christ is supposed to be about. And what happens is, is we just become stagnant, and, and we're just not growing. And so that's not where God wants us to be. Everybody say amen. Hey, we, we ought to be growing. And so we've been looking the last, really, three weeks about how God measures maturity in a believer's life. And we saw that he, he measures it by our faith, right? By our hope, that is, that we persevere through, that our hope isn't just set on something here that's on earth and what we can muster in our own feelings or what we can persevere in human strength, but that hope that's in Jesus Christ. And then so this morning we're going to look at that third thing that God measures us by. But I want you to understand something first. And it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. It says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness Christ. Now, give me your attention just for a minute. We're talking about maturity. We're supposed to be like Jesus Christ. Amen? We're, that measurement of maturity is what we're supposed to be, light of Jesus Christ. But again, so often, however, we, we have settled for less. And again, living things grow and mature. And if something stops growing, either it's dead or it's artificial. And that's why Paul was so stern with the Corinthian church. And when he told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Brothers... I could not address you as spiritual people, but people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He said, I feed you with milk, not solid foods, for you're not ready for it. Paul went on to say that they were behaving like those who are without Jesus Christ, mere men, not Christians. Now, follow me here. Maturity is vital. Listen close. Maturity is vital. Um, I remember um, years and years ago, I remember going into Walmart one time, and my grandma called it Walmarts, but it's Walmarts, right? <laughs> you can laugh a little bit, but uh, my grandma, we called her Meemaw. She was so precious. But uh, I remember going into Walmart one time, and I remember seeing this lady 
and 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 inside of her buggy she had he had to be five years old he had a pacifier in his mouth and he was screaming at the top of his lung he was wanting everything that was outside of the cart he just wouldn't behave but he you know he had that pacifier in his mouth and 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 you see what I'm getting at that's not maturity is it there, 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 you know, there should be maturity. But, you know, as believers, you know, we should be growing. We shouldn't stay as babies or in the novelty of things, but we should be growing in the things of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and so there needs to be maturity. Maturity is important, and we understand that maturity is vital, and we understand that so we have to know that we must measure that. And so, again... Paul gives us these three here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll read that here. He says that we can measure our maturity by our faith and by our hope and by our love. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering for our God and Father, look at it, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our, I want you to underline that last phrase, in our Lord Jesus Christ. How important are faith, hope, and love to your Christian life? Well, at the end of verse 3, it says this faith, this love, and this hope are in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're made in his image. Faith, hope, and love. In other words, these three qualities are the particular spiritual effects of being in a personal relationship with the living Lord. You get it? The upshot of this is huge. And how you measure up in these areas of faith, hope, and love indicates where you are at spiritually. Look, are you in fact in a vital relationship with God? And, and, and are you doing all these things that you're doing so that there's growth? That's, that's how we measure our maturity is by that faith and by that hope and by love. Now, we've talked about faith and we've talked about hope. And now this morning, let's talk about the last one, which is love. Today, we'll look at love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Notice what he calls it. Everybody listen. He calls it your labor of love. So we measure ourselves in our faith. In other words, how is our faith in Jesus Christ? Are we 100% Jesus or just Jesus watered? Remember that? You know, how much do we trust in him? How much do we follow him? How much do we believe? How much are we like him? How is our faith? How is our hope? How do we persevere through trials and tribulations? We know that bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to Christians. How do we get through those things? Do we persevere? Or what, what does it take to knock us out of the game? So our maturity is measured in our faith. It's measured in our hope, so how you doing there? But number three, it's our love. But not just love, look what Paul calls it, and it's all throughout the New, the New Testament. It's mentioned, it's mentioned some 18 times, faith, hope, and love. But he calls it the labor of love, the labor of love. Now, why that? He calls it the labor of love. Now, these words in English are completely inadequate to convey what the Bible means. It isn't that this word labor and love is wrong. Listen close. It's just that they're too weak. 
It's just after two weeks. So this morning, let's discuss what this means, how we're going to measure our maturity by our love, our labor of love. You see, the word labor is as good as we have in the English for this Greek word called kapos, which the Holy Spirit had called to use to convey this measurable attribute that Christians are to have for God. And when I speak the word love, I understand that with our cultural understanding, it bears little resemblance to all which God had Paul write it for and for the reasons he did so. And so let's break this down. And uh, number one, your labor of love defined. We're measuring here. How are we measuring in our, Christ, in our Christian life, in our faith, in our hope, but this morning in our love? Listen to me. When you got saved, God gave you faith. How are you doing? God gave you hope to get you through until he glorifies you. Amen? Give the Lord a hand. One day he's going to glorify us. So how are you doing with that faith and that hope? But here, here it is. Here it is, and here's the last one. It's love. How are you doing in your love? When you got saved, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, listen close. He gave you the ability to love. He, he gave you a love relationship in him, in him to you through the Holy Spirit to love. How well do you love? What does your love look like? How do you measure up to the kind of love that God wants us to have? You know, the Bible says that people are going to know who we are by our, say it with me, by our love one to another, not just to other Christians, but to this world. And, and, and it's our love. And so how, how, how does our love measure up to the love that Jesus Christ had, because that's who we compare ourselves to, right? So this measure, this measure of labor of love. So when we look at this word love, it's your labor of love defined. The word labor. Now, I, I want I want you to get this. We think of when we think of this word labor, we think of work, don't we? Or some activity we do when we see word. But the Greek word kapos means much more than just work. You know, yesterday, um, you know, I was at the house, and I pretty much worked all day. I worked on the four-wheeler. I got it going for, for little Bristol Rose. And so she's now around on a little old 50cc four-wheeler, and that was fun. But, you know, I worked in the yard. And, you know, so when, I, so when we think of work, we think of getting up in the morning and doing some work and just doing this and doing that, doing some things that needs to be done. But that's not the idea of this word labor of love that the Greek gives in the New Testament. Instead, I think I have this up here for you. Instead, the word kapos, it carries, it carries the idea, it carries the meaning, and it, it means the cost paid, uh, the pains taken. It talks about the strength spent in the work. So when this word labor of love is being used, it's not just talking about work. It's talking about something that cost. It's talking about something that caused you to toil, something that you had to put strength in, you had to spend time in. And, and uh, do we have a picture of the Thompsons up here? Did we get that put up there yet? I want you to look at a beautiful picture. Look here. That's little Aaron Thompson, um, our worship pastor. They had a baby, let's see, Friday. And so that's little, that's little Aaron. Isn't she, isn't she gorgeous, everybody? Give the Lord in for her, will you? Yeah. And um, so when I think of this word labor of love, and she certainly is a beautiful little thing that we can love, 
But when I look at this labor of love, I think of Rachel in her labor of having this little love package, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, when she, when she gave birth, we call it labor, and she had to, she had to dedicate herself 100%, right? It cost her something. There was some pain involved. There was some endurement involved. There was, and once she started, there was no turning back. I love this idea about this word labor in the Greek kapos. It talks about something that you don't you don't get a choice. Because you're a Christian, this word labor of love, we're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to do certain things because this word labor of love, it means that we don't have a choice. It means that it's, there's, 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 there's work involved, but there's so much more than that. It's something that is going to be a cost for us. It's, again, it's that strength spent. It's the pains that are taken, just like in this labor or childbirth. Now, we can take her beautiful picture off. I don't want to distract you much longer. Now, the Greeks actually associated this word with something like resilience and, and going through something difficult, this word kapos. Now, there are passages in the New Testament where this same Greek word post was used, and in the English it was transliterated differently. For example, in Matthew chapter 26, it, 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 it defines the word labor or that word kapos as trouble or as bothersome in other places. So you're getting, you're getting more of an understanding of this word labor. It's not just work. It's something that takes us by 100% to do, to give. It's trouble. It's troublesome. It's bothersome. Pain's taken. It's the strength spent to get the job done. It's cost paid. I mean, this word labor is a lot more than what we think of working because it takes all of us to do what this is, this labor of love. So it's not casual. It's not a lightweight task that you fit into your life when it's convenient. When we're talking about this measurable when this measurable attribute of love, we're talking about something here that causes us to have to give. There's nothing here that suggests it's a cakewalk, that it's a minimal commitment. This is not talking about some cheap fix. This is a strenuous toil, and it's costly effective. Listen to me. It's costly effective. This is work that wears you out. Listen, it's a labor poured out. For, for the sake of another person. Now, let's get a handle on this word love. And we talked about it several weeks ago, and we'll put it all together and we'll be done. But this word love, this word agape, it's first of all, it's love without conditions. It's a love that is not earned. So when we're talking about labor and we're talking about love, it's a love that's not earned. Love that we that we love that we did not see coming or did not have coming. It's unexpected. It's unmerited. Listen, it just comes to you. Agape has nothing to do with be, with the behavior of the one who is loved. Think about it. Most of the time, when we talk about love, we love someone because they do something for us, right? But not this love. This is this is a love that that is that that no one has to do something for us to love. And so as Christians, we're to labor and love. Notice, secondly, about this word love is it's love that's rooted in the will of God. So the way we tend to operate is that we feel something first, and then we decide. There's a feeling of attraction or pity or thankfulness or passion, some kind of emotion that leads to a decision. Because I feel this way, I'll love you. You know, we, we understand that. 
but a God love, talking about our measure of maturity, completely reverses that pattern. This is a love that is not about a physical buzz or a sentimental feeling. It is fixed in a determination to pour oneself out for someone else. Hey, that's what it is. Listen, listen close. So this labor of love, we're, we're to measure ourselves by. Look, as a church, as Christians, I mean, it's easy to love those who love us, right? But it's another thing talking about this labor of love is that through this word labor and love and agape is, is, we're, is we're to love when we're not supposed to love. We're to help when we're not supposed to help. We're to do because we love Jesus Christ and he loves us and so we do things. And that's why the Bible says that we forgive those who trespass against us. See, that's what it talks about, this labor of love. That's when the Bible says that to pray for your enemies, we can do that because we have this labor of love. Someone doesn't have to do something for me or to me or make me feel a certain way for me to do something for them as a Christian. Because I'm a Christian, I have this responsibility to love, to love, to do something, to pour myself out unto them because of Jesus Christ in life. And that's how I measured. Listen, when we get to heaven and when we get to the judgment seat of Christ and, and he looks at us and we, he goes over our, our lives, he's not going to say, well, wow, you're doing great because, of, because you did this for me because they did that for you. No, our, 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 our love that is measured by our labor of love is that agape love is how we're going to be measured. Everybody say amen. <coughs> Excuse me our labor of love. And so this is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount command, love your enemies. Hey, how you measuring up? <coughs> love your enemies. Love your enemies. That's a measurement of our, of, our, of, of our relationship with Jesus Christ, to love our enemies. Our ex-husbands, our ex-wives, our mother-in-laws, people who have wronged us. Love your enemies because that's agape love. <coughs> that's why he can say, pray for those who persecute you in Matthew chapter 5. That's why Jesus said to do good to those who, who, who despitefully use you. Why? Because that's how we're measured as Christians. That's how the world knows that we're the real thing, is that we love people and we pray for our enemies and that we, that we reach out to those who are despiteful to us. This is why God can ask those who are strong to bear the weakness of others. Boy, I had it going on this, this past week with somebody who says, I'm not going to do that. I get to do this because I can do this. No, you don't do things because of the weaker brother sometimes. It's called being the stronger. Why? Because it's this very word, love, agape love. We have that responsibility. So how are we measuring up, congregation? This attribute, this kind of love that we're talking about here that, that we see in 1 Thessalonians, this kind of love isn't whether I feel like it or not. That it's just something you subjectively command on one's own feelings. This love that is measured in a Christian is about, listen, God's will. It's about God's will, not ours, not what's easy for us. It is determined rather to be in the image of Christ. I must decrease so he must increase. Amen? 
And this is what makes agape so powerful. And this is what is supposed to make the Christianity so attractive and different from the world. How do you measure? How do you measure on that? You know, I, I, I hear often people, and, 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 and um, I often hear people say, you know, if we're forgiving people and not holding people responsible for what they do or whatever like that, you know, when we don't, when we forgive them, and um, we don't get mad at people and, and we show this agape love, we're often criticized of being, being weak people. Can I, anybody? No, we're not. We're not weak people. We're strong people. We're strong people in Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. You don't have to be like the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. That's maybe what the world does, but as Christians, we're measured by a different standard, ladies and gentlemen, and that standard is our faith and our hope and our love. And our love isn't something that is just easy for us to do that's not going to cost us anything. The love that we as Christians should have is going to make a difference in a world that is dying, dying and going to hell. That neighbor that's, that's two doors down from you that's, that's dying and going to hell, the difference that you're going to make in that person's life is agape love, not, not Philadelphia love. Not, not a love that doesn't give, but a love that gives and a, and a love that costs you something. That's what's going to reach those people for Jesus Christ, and that's why we have this labor of love. Amen? These good old kids are going to camp. Aren't y'all excited about that? You get rid of them for a week? No, not me. I like these kids. But uh, they're going, and, and I sure I, I want to thank you for your for your agape love the last few the last few weeks, and you know helping some of these kids go to camp and getting that price down. We got our children's going to camp here here pretty soon too, and you're helping out with that. See, that cost you something. And, and, and it's something you didn't have to do, but it's something because you're a Christian, this agape love, you want to help these kids. So we're going to ask you here in a little bit to help them a little bit more, and that is by praying for them. We're going to ask you to adopt one of these kids for camp. We have 34 teenagers going to camp. Isn't that wonderful? We had a teenager get saved this past week at, uh, at uh, midweek week service there at the Student Rock Ministry. Hey, give the Lord a hand on that. <clears throat> And uh, it's exciting, it's exciting, it's great, but all I want to say is your pastor, and I love you with all my heart, and I do, and, and it's an example of I have for you, but it doesn't matter, but I'm saying that we're going to be measured about our love one to another and our, our love for other people, and it's not just any kind of love. Listen, it's an agape love. It's a love that labors, that costs, and, and that's what our, our maturity is measured by. So... Let me ask you, how mature are you in Christ? How mature are you? Is it all about you? Whatever benefits you, I'll do the least. I'll do this because it won't take that much for me to have to do it. Or is it, it's going to cost you something because you know it's labor. It's kapos in the Greek. It's going to cost you something. This is not talking about a love that is just cheap. This is talking about Kapos, which is supposed to cost you something, that it's supposed to be hard. And I'm not, don't get your hand off your back pocket. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about things that you don't normally want to do. You know, you, you hear someone's in the hospital and you're, you're on the way home and, and, and your mind, uh, the Lord puts on your mind, hey, go by and see Jackie in the hospital. Kapos, love. Kapos agape, 
means that you're going to say, well, you know, I know I got to get home and, and dinner's on the table, but I want to stop by real quick and I want to check on Jackie. Can I have an amen out there? And I'm not, Jackie's not in the hospital anymore. I've just used it as an example. But, uh, the, you know, the nursery out there, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd probably, I'd really, I would cut off my left arm and give it away before I had to spend a lot of time in the nursery because I just don't like being in the nursery. But guess what? Kapos agape. I'm a Christian. My measurement of maturity, I'm going to do it because it's required of me. Amen? These, these kids are going to camp, and, and our, our, children's ministry, our children's are going to, going to camp, and we've got ministries out here. We're going to be involved because we have kaposagape. And you know what? That's how your, mature, your maturity as a Christian is measured by. It's by that kaposagape, ladies and gentlemen. Let me ask you, how are you doing on that? How are you doing? It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost Number three in describing that word, is it's a love that must give. We've covered that. But number two, our last point, we have a good example of this, and I want to share it with you. And you can open your Bibles to John chapter 13, please. In John chapter 13. This love that moves us into hard things. In John chapter 13, this is the scene in the upper room, just, be, just before the Passover meal, just before this offers himself, and he goes to Calvary's cross. It's here that he starts his labor of love. Of course, we know that he started it long before this, but we see on this eve of this, we can see when he's teaching his disciples. And we understand that in this setting here in the upper room, the shadow of the cross hangs over everything. The horrible death and beating that he takes, the unthinkable things await our Savior, and he prepares to be the sin bearer for the entire world in this upper room. Look at John chapter 13, verse 1. It describes the moment like this. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, look at it, look at it, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. <laughs> oh, isn't that beautiful? Some, translation, some translations say that, uh, say like, like, like this, that he showed them the full extent of his love rich. So the wording here suggests that he was about to demonstrate the ultimate expression of love, beginning right there in that room. So, so do you know what he does next? Now, we know he's going to the cross, and ultimately that's him showing his ultimate love, giving himself for others. We, we, we get that. But what he does here, what he does here. Is, is his kaposagape, his, 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 his labor of love. He, and it's what he's showing to, to his disciples. But do you know what he does here? He washes their feet. Now, I got a pan of water and a towel. Somebody want to come up here and wash my feet real quick? 
Anybody? Any takers on that? Brother David? You'll pass? Okay, okay, okay. No, it's not something that you really want to do, but I, I, wanna, I want you to bring you into the custom here of the Jews, okay? Now, they're in the supper room. He, he's going to present himself to the cross. Nobody took Jesus' life. He gave his own life. Can I have a hallelujah there? He gave his own life. But before he did that, he wanted to show him what love was, measure of maturity. And so he washes the disciples' feet. Now, it was common. It was the custom in those days before eating for a household servant. In those days, the guest would come, and a household servant would wash the feet of the guest. They didn't have nice Tony Lama boots like we do and socks and, you know, they, it was, they, they, their feet were filthy. And so instead of bringing it to the house, they had servants to wash people's feet. It was a custom. It was a tradition. But here's the problem. In this upper room, there was no servant. There was no servant. And so Jesus became the servant. And he washed the disciples' feet. Now, <laughs> Jesus shouldn't have been the one to wash those disciples' feet. I could think of a couple of reasons. Number one, he's, he's, he's his majesty. He's the Lord of Lord, the God of God of gods. He's, he's it. He's, he's, he's Jesus. He's God incarnate. Number two is he was a rabbi. And you go, book, you, you go back in the Bible and you look and you'll never see a rabbi washing any disciple's feet, washing anybody's feet. You go back into all the secular writing that's got to do with Jewish custom and you'll never find one thing that a rabbi ever washed anybody's feet. Number three, he was fixing to give his life. If anybody needed ministered to, if anybody needed to be loved on a little bit, I think it was Jesus Christ. Amen? But no, that's not the way that our Lord sees it. He washes the disciples' feet. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel. I want to back up a minute. Uh, you know, I know translations are different, but verses 4 and 5, it says, He arose from supper. That's why I call nighttime food supper. Amen? It's biblical. So all you Yankees take hold of that, okay? Just kidding around, make you laugh a little bit. But uh, it's supper. Even Jesus called it supper. <laughs> he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Now his outer garments, remember, they had a cloak, which was the outer garment, then they had the inner garment. So he wasn't nude. He had inner clothes on, but he just got rid of his cloak, his outer garments. And then he took a towel, he put it around his waist as here in verse 4 and 5. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around. So his labor of love had begun. It would cultivate the next day at his crucifixion. And those men in the room, listen, they didn't earn this. They didn't have it coming. It was unmerited. And it was all about love. Jesus given, given an example of love. Look at verses 12. Look at verse 12. Jesus turned his example into a mandate here. Look at it. He said, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, 
your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should, should do just as I have done to you. Then he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, are you if you do them? Now, later on, John, one of the disciples, he reflected on this moment, and in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, I don't have it up there for you, but in 1 John chapter 3, verse, verse 16, he wrote these words. He says, this, no love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for brothers. You see the copos, agape? Christians, what I'm saying to you is, is that we're to, we're, we're to take that, that example that God gave us, and we're to make the same application in our lives, that we're to lay down our own lives, that copos agape for other people, to love them as, as Jesus Christ loves us. You know, have listen, have you ever wondered why you're here at Cornerstone? Have you ever wondered why that you're saved? Have you ever wondered why Jesus saved you? Listen, he did that because God wants you to give something back. He loves you, and you're going to have eternity with him. But you're here because you're supposed to be giving something back. And one of those things you should be giving back is love. Love to other people. Caring for them. That means witnessing to them. That means bringing them to church with you. That means that when you see a brother in need, that you do something for him. That means the reason we're here is when you see things that are going on here in the ministries of Cornerstone, that you have Cope Agape and you do something about it. You don't wait for someone else to do it or wait for the preacher to do everything. You get up and you do it because you love Jesus Christ and because you love the ministry of Jesus Christ. You do the hard things and not just the easy things. This whole world is not just about us and what makes us comfortable. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the kingdom of heaven. And it's about people being witnessed to so that they can have eternity in heaven. Not just about us. We, Copes agape. Do we got it? Copes agape. A love that labors. This whole 80-20 thing that's so prevalent in the modern local churches that 80% of the people do 20% of the work, do you think that's what Jesus Christ had in mind? Huh? Then why is it? Because don't measure up in this maturity of love. That's why. If we all had the copay sagape that God intended it for us to, to persevere through in our lives, because we have it, if you've got it, you just got to do something with it. And listen, if we all used that and had the love for other people as Jesus gave us example to and that we're being measured against, if we all had that love, ladies and gentlemen, this world would be a totally different place. Not a weak place, but it'd be a godly place. The missionaries, missions, the ministries labor of love. Labor of love. Love that labors.
brought you here to serve. Your background, your talents, your skill, your ability. He wants to use. So the question is, how are you doing with what God has given you? See, a love that labors pours itself out in acts of service that have nothing to do with deserving. Listen. It doesn't make excuses. It isn't too busy to be involved. Like Jesus, Christians carry the expense. They lay down their lives for someone else. That's why we can pray for our enemies. That's why we can forgive those who trespass against us. That's why that we who are stronger can bear the burdens of those that are weak. Maybe you figure, well, nobody's watching. I'm doing just as good as everybody else is. Ladies and gentlemen, God is watching. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and your love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. You see, he sees our work of love. Again, that word love, agape in Hebrews 6.10. You know, you know that moment in the upper room when Jesus said, love like this, follow my example? He wasn't talking about that we should start a new ordinance in the church, which some have that ordinance of washing people's feet. He was just giving the example of this is what love looks like. This is where it starts. But, of course, ultimately for him it ended on giving his life for us so that we could show that love to other people. Again, the Bible says people are going to know that we're Christians by our love one to another, that agape love, that kopos agape. How are we doing? How does that measure? How does that measure? I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews 10, verse 24. How might we grow? How might our church grow? How should we grow? Hebrews 10, 24. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That means that I'll stop looking for servanthood that costs me nothing. I will not gauge the level of my giving to the level of my getting. It means count me in whatever needs to be done. You see it? So, how are we doing with this copas agape, our measure of our maturity, of our love? How does our love measure up of the love that Jesus Christ gave us and that he has for us and that he has given us an example for? Yeah? You remember, my job as your pastor is to get you in the corner and pull a Muhammad Ali on you, you know? Um, not let you out until you get it. Christians, we're never more like God when we're loving. Amen? That copos agape, that love, that love that costs something, the, the love that gets the job completed. Amen? Let's pray.